0: Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. All right. Hey, that's good. I couldn't even do that in the first service because uh, the microphone, my headset, this headset wasn't working. So it was really kind of a... A dumb way to start a service, honestly. Welcome, in the name of the Lord, to Windsor Community Church. I just want to uh, recognize, uh, one, well first, before I get into that, um, I'm Pastor John. I serve in this church alongside three other pastors. That is Pastor Chris, Pastor Dan, and Pastor Pat. And I just want this church to kind of keep in mind, keep in remembrance that we have two pastors that are what we call in the pit right they're pastors in training. very soon you know they 've been they 've been brought before the body we've uh, we've done that we 've uh, exposed them to you we 've asked you to pray for them and uh uh lord willing Lord willing we will see them come on board and we'll have more of a plurality of pastors in the days to come. Amen is that not good I'm I'm jazzed about it I think it's really neat it's uh it's not necessarily you know, nope. we haven't navigated these waters before, right? How do you go from four to six pastors? But you know, it used to be not all that long ago, we were two pastors and then three. So so it's uh, it's been all good. Um, I just want to uh, give my hearty, happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there. Hey, I realize that not everybody has has, uh, uh, even wants to or, or participates in, in the Hallmark holiday that we have in our culture called, called Mother's Day. And that's okay. That is truly okay. But, but it is a neat occasion for the church that is that we can, we can take this time and, and celebrate motherhood. It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, but I do want to set our minds straight on this, that... That our identity shouldn't be in, in being a mom or dad, although those are great identities to have, but there's a more supreme identity, right? So here it is. I pray that all of these sweet, dear ladies here today, whether you're celebrating the occasion or not, that you will find your greatest sense of worth and fulfillment and consolation in your relationship with Christ. That really goes for all of us, men too, right? All the time. Our identity should be based in him, right? Now, on this day, I, I reflect on Mother's Day upon my mama, right? She passed away some four and a half years ago. And, I, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I still think of her often. I'd say even weekly. And, and my heart is always drawn with floods of emotion. Still to this day and probably for the rest of my days, I have fond memories of her, of her love, of her un-, un dying sacrifices that she, did, that she did for us and for me personally. And you know, I think one of the most outstanding qualities that my mom had for me that, that continues to instruct my heart is that no matter what I did, no matter what bumbling, air, uh, I'll say I was a bumbling idiot. I made errors in my way. No, no matter what it was, she always accepted me. She loved me no matter what. And I love that about my mama. And, and again, I think that she taught me in a lot of ways how to love. And I'm still trying to learn that more and more today. Let's, let's open in prayer. Lord God in heaven above, I thank you so much for the, for the gift of motherhood. God, that you gave it to, to dear women on this planet to, to have the joys the beauty, the, the value of being able to be moms, to give birth to mankind. And God, I, I, motherhood is full of challenges, full of trial, full of work, full of sacrifice. Sometimes even it can be full of pain and, and hurt. It's but God, I pray thanking you for and I pray that you would alight on all the la- dear ladies here in this place today, whether mothers or not. God, that you would sweetly sing your songs of goodness to them. God, that you would shower good things upon them. Give them the strength to, to go on. Give them the joy, the beauty that it takes to reflect you to children God, I pray that uh, you join with us also, God, as we, as we are collected here today, under your word, God, I pray that you would enliven the hearts of all who are here, God, to, to be ready to hear the good word, God, that is from your word, that you would minister the word of God by your spirit to the hearts of man, and God, that you would also enliven the lips of the speaker today. God, that, that he would bring no ill towards your work, towards your word, towards your ways. And God, that all together you would edify and strengthen your body. That by your word, that your word today would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And so we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Now over the last several weeks, if you've been here, and I trust most of you have been, is that we've sat under the teaching of Pastor Chris and Dan as they've opened our path into Philippians. We've uh, been all the way through Philippians chapter 1, and now we're embarking on the first couple verses of chapter 2. Now keep in mind, this is a short, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, to all the saints. The church of Philippi really applies to all of us, of course. And, and it was intended to be. Read in one in one sitting. So we would come here and we would read the letter, right? But but we have the privilege, the great opportunity that we don't have to read it all at once. Although it is a good thing to do, that today we get we get a chance to focus in on a couple of passages week by week, right? And we'll do that today, and that we can we can say we can try to dive in deeper and bring other passages. Uh, God's Word, pull it together and amplify the message and drive it home. And so, so it's It's a good thing that we, can, that we have the opportunity to do that. And I thank God for the, the, the variety of passages that can come to bear on the passage today. You know, in this letter, Paul is very thankful for his local church and this local church, Philippi, and their partnership in the gospel and their kinship with him personally He has them in his heart, the Scripture says. He longs for them with the affections of Christ. He's truly connected to this particular body of believers, heart and soul. So, one of the key parts of this first chapter that sets the stage for our passage today is this. Now, it's it's a prayer, and this is a prayer that Paul issues. This is this prayer, the heart of God. This is important to read this prayer, right? It, it forms the, the whole basis for the rest, of the rest of the letter, but this is great. So it says this, Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this, and this is my prayer. Don't you want to know what the big A Apostle Paul's prayer is for you? I do. It says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that our love may abound That means that it's it's the first and primary thing that's seen. So if somebody sees this church or a church from the outside, it's what gushes out of the doorways, what spills forth from you and your lips and from your countenance would be that it'd be love. This is a great prayer where where doctrine, and, and, and doctrine is the things that we understand and that we believe, right? The doctrine and the virtue of love are commingled wonderfully. Here it is, love. The ultimate quality of the believer's life is to be tightly connected to their understanding of who he is and what he is about. And this is tightly coupled to their Christian walk, their attitudes and actions. And also in this first chapter, Paul uh, lets us know about some things that are going on. Philippians 1, 15 through 17, not all is perfect in this church. Although I have to say that in, if you look at letters to the churches, this is a pretty good church. This is a church Paul is pretty pleased with. But yet, it says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. I can't even fathom that, actually. It's not in my heart. (laughs) That that a, a Christian, somebody in the church could be preaching Christ and all the while trying to hurt the apostle and undermine him while he's in prison. In the church here, not everybody was behaving themselves. They were not all conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Right out, that's a verse 127. These elements of chapter 1 set the stage for chapter 2, which is where we are for today's message, which leads to Paul's appeal, ultimately in the passage that we're reading today, for unity and brotherly love in the church. Now, quick aside before we get into the passage is last week, if you were here, Chris preached beautifully on the gospel and its power to direct our lives for righteous living. One of the things he said, and he gleaned it from verse 27, he says that that we should live our lives consistent with the gospel. Would you say amen to that? I say amen to that. But here today, I'd like to amplify it just a little bit. It is that Christians, we should be living the gospel. The gospel is not something... That we come alongside is not something that we simply understand intellectually. But it's something that we have ingested. We don't just know it or think about it. It is something that should pour out from our very lives. We're supposed to understand and believe and put it into practice to such an extent that the gospel pours into pretty much everything that we do. It should be evident in our relationship with our spouses, in our relationship with our children. It should be obvious, or should pour out from us in our common labors, at our workplaces, and really everywhere. If we truly live the gospel as part of our daily lives, that's a great witness. That's going to make a change in the world we live in. If Christians everywhere were to live out the gospel in all the various areas of their lives, all across this great planet, the world would take notice. Things would materially change, brothers and sisters. We'll get into some of the applications later after we walk through the verses. But all this, knowing that that the big A apostle Paul, key leader of the early church, and the mouthpiece, of the Lord himself, he admitted later in the passage that he doesn't fully understand it, the gospel. He says, I don't fully grasp it. Maybe, I suspect he was even frustrated at times, but he mustered up the strength to say that he would not look back or to the side, but that he would what? Press on, right? That should be part of the fabric of our mentality too, Yeah, we don't fully comprehend all the the depths and breadths and heights of the gospel. And even what we do understand, we end up falling short, right? We struggle, we fail, we miss the mark again and again. But, brothers and sisters, let's be like Paul. Let's continue to learn, to grow, and to put into practice our faith. Let's join together to press on. So when you hear the message today, let it challenge you. None of us lives the gospel perfectly, that's for sure. But we have to say that Paul's fervent prayer for the Philippians, it applies to us. And, and as we receive and follow it, our lives will, should be and will be filled with, with fruit that glorifies the Lord and is a benefit to our fellow man, even if we do so imperfectly. Now, on to the passage. Thank you, Heather, for reading it so beautifully before, but I'll read it again here, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. This is such a poetic passage. You know, Paul is one of these right-brained guys. He's very intellectual and astute, but here he waxes with, with a sense of poetry that is so beautiful. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing or fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves." Not looking only to your own interests, but each of you also to the interests of others. This message is threaded through Philippians and other New Testament books. Paul is calling for Christian unity. Like-mindedness. He starts out by making his appeal based upon the various graces and benefits we all should have as being part of his kingdom. But what is this unity Paul is talking about? What is this same love he's calling for that he references in chapter 1? He says, be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Have one mind. What does this mean? Is Paul asking that we would agree on everything with each other as brothers and sisters in the church? Is it even possible to get a whole host of diverse people. And man, I look out there and I see a lot of diverse people. Some of you big, some of you small, some of you old, some of you young. This diverse group of people. Is it, is it realistic that it can have them all be of one mind? And what does love have to do with it? Let's be clear. God's people will not and really are not called upon to agree about everything. Eek. Is John going out on a limb here? Is, he, is is that dangerous territory? Some areas that we have, we may rightfully differ in. How about how we raise our children? How about areas of things like eating and drinking? Manners? How about views on money? Housing? Education? How about politics? And on and on. Let there be no misunderstanding, though. This is not to say that Scripture does not have a lot to say about all these things. God's Word has application for all areas of our life. Believers are to strive to live every dimension of their lives in accord with God's wisdom and governance of His Word. But that is not the main thrust of the message here. There are indeed a myriad of ways in which the people join together in a unified body, will differ. It is really because of this that Paul is making such a strong appeal to be like-minded. Not to get complete uniformity among people, but rather to get an inherently non-uniform collection of people to rally behind and align to a greater message, a greater cause. Paul is calling for the people of God to be unified, around the things that matter most, about the great things of God. These should be the basis for what it is to be like-minded. I'm going to summarize this in two two key aspects. Now, there's a lot more that can be said about what it is in the the Bible and and in church life that can unify us. But I'm I'm going to talk about two today, the two principal ones. The first and most central unifying element of our collective in the Christian church is Christ. Christ is the centerpiece of the whole biblical story from beginning to end. Christ is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn over all creation. It really is our Christian distinctive, right? Jesus is God. Throughout the passages of Scripture, you see it everywhere. And I did this. I I just quickly read through all of Philippians. And what do you see when you do that? You see it everywhere. Of Christ, for Christ, to Christ, in Christ, by Christ, unto Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. It's all about Christ. And And the second is near unto it. And that is... The gospel of Christ. It's the heart of our world as Christians. The heart of the New Testament. And really the fundamental message of all scripture. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith. Established by the work of Christ. Is the central theme of all scripture. The gospel message is revealed and unveiled progressively. And emphatically throughout the entire Bible. The grounds for our salvation is the merit or the work of Christ And we are linked to Christ by faith. You see, faith is the instrument. And we all as believers share in this like precious faith. All the other important doctrines, and there are lots of important doctrines that we are to hold to. All of these doctrines that we glean from scripture and that we hold to so dearly, they must support or inform or even be submissive to Christ in his gospel. The gospel, you see, it is the will of the Father. It is the heart of who He is, and He made the way for it through His beloved Son. Some key gospel passages that I pulled out just to instruct our hearts and align ourselves to this. Two of them. First is 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. It says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Second passage is Ephesians 2. Now, I love Ephesians 2. I could read the whole thing. We could be here all day. We could read Ephesians all day. But we'll pull out just a couple verses here that are key about this gospel. For it is by grace you have... This is verses, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them or to do them. Now, in this letter written by Paul, these two main pillars burst out in virtually every verse. Paul's heartbeat and the thrust of his message to the people of God is all about Christ, and it's all about the gospel of Christ. Recall how affectionately Peter referred to the church at Philippi? He kept them in his heart. He longed for them with the affection of Christ. Why? Because they had a great unity of purpose. They were united in the partnership of the gospel. Paul's heart of love for these people is intensified because not only in partnering in the gospel, but they were single-mindedly pursuing the same same goal. They were co-laboring and suffering for a common purpose, and that created a brotherhood like none other. Now, we can and should have this in our local church as well. We have examples in other areas of life too. Sports teams are a good example of where you see these bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood, right? That these things that develop when there is a common cause or common goal, coupled with intensity and in adversity. A local football team that my boys are a part of, they have a new coach this year. And this coach, he gets it. He knows that a team without unity and brotherly affection will be at a disadvantage when it comes to the time of testing. So this new coach, he promotes strong commitment. He encourages daily weightlifting, together as a team. They have a common eating regiment, and he asks everyone to participate. They practice, they go to camps, they sweat and they grunt together, all in preparation for the test, the game, game time. And their brotherhood will be all the more formed in battle. Whether they win or lose, they do so as a team. They play for a game, a good game that provides many life lessons, and analogies for life. We in the church, we do this for the greatest cause of all. For the very love of Christ. And to fulfill and be part of His great work. That He gave us to do. And, and ultimately, this team, this church team, we get to, we get to experience the ultimate victory. Victory of, over death. Victory of an entrance into Heaven eternity. Now on to Paul's appeal for unity and love. He makes this appeal based upon the various graces and benefits that we should all have as being part of sharing in Christ. So here we go. First, the passage says, if you have any consolation or comfort with being united with Christ, I ask you, do you? we should comfort ourselves daily with the reminder that we have been forgiven and reconciled to Christ by his work and his work alone. We have the great and precious promises that he has given us to keep us strong. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, somewhat of a confusing passage, but it it sets the point out. So we'll read it. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which is which is, it is impossible for him to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. His promises to us are sure because they are his word and confirmed to us by the perfection of his nature. You see, it is impossible for him to lie. We have full security in our position with him. He gives us precious promises so that we might be all the more secure, anchored to him by his very word. While in this world, we are like a ship on the sea. We are given to being tossed to and fro in apparent danger of being swept completely away. Our souls are the vessels. Comforts, Joy, peace, hope, mercies, grace, and the very satisfaction of our souls are the precious, precious cargo with which the vessels are loaded. Heaven is the harbor to which we sail. Trials, temptations, even persecutions that we encounter are the, are the powerful waves of the storm that threaten our passage through this world. We need an anchor to keep us steady, to hold us fast while we are under attack, while we navigate the treacherous paths. The gospel hope is our anchor. It holds us firm and secure. We, as his beloved children, should be those with immense consolation from being united with Christ. Indeed, he is the rock that grips the anchor of hope and he will in no way yield to the power of the storm, but he will see you safely through. Paul makes his appeal to us for love and unity, saying that if you have any inkling of this, and you should have it in abundance, right? Then respond to his plea. Next, if you have any comfort from his love, do you experience comforts, joy, hope, and beauty from having His love upon you? Does His love for you encourage you when things go awry, when things are a mess, when things don't go the way you want them to? Having His love upon you can and should be a sweet comfort that while other things may be, may be amiss in our lives, His love does not waver. We fail, yeah. We're the variable side of this thing, right? We fall. We're weak. Yeah, but he, he's there. He never leaves. He never fails. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17 says this, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul makes his appeal to us for love and unity, saying that if you have any measure of comfort from his love, and you should have it abounding, then respond to his plea. Next, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, do you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? If you belong to Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. This deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, a permanent seal that shows you are His purchased possession. You belong to Him. As believers, we should have continual refreshment from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us for conviction of sin and to empower our lives to live by the gospel. For hope and for the power to overcome the flesh. For comfort and encouragement when we miss the mark. For joy that can well up within us because he has overcome the world. You see, Paul makes his appeal to us for love and unity. Saying that if you have any, any measure of this, And your cup should be overflowing with his spirit. If you have any fellowship with his spirit, Then respond to his plea. Before we get to the responding to his plea, it is interesting here, by the way, that Paul inserts himself here in the passage. He says, then make my joy complete. You see, Paul devoted his life to the work of ministry and to Christ himself. And the church of Philippi was such an encouragement to him that he could see them walking by faith and living out the gospel. The church was not perfect, though. Right? Remember, there was envy and striving by some. Pride was not altogether absent. There were some who preached Christ in competition against Paul, even with motive to add to his suffering. We see things like this happening in, in our culture today, don't we? Even locally, we've seen churches fracture due to a lack of unity within. There's jockeying for position, for power whatever. So this passage has direct implications on us. Pray God to help us here to remain focused on Christ and his work. And pray God to help all of us to put on love, to put on humility, to put away selfish ambitions. This requires constant vigilance by all of us. I can say firsthand here how the pastors of this church, like Paul, take such joy in seeing that their labors really do result in a beautiful faith among the body parts. To see, to see many who reflect a heart of love for Christ and his people. When pastors meet each week and then in periodic Saturdays, the first things they do is reflect on you, the body, and pray for you, the body. So many times there are tears that just flow Prayers of great thanksgiving for the things that we observe that Christ is doing here among us. What a great encouragement it is to see brothers and sisters walking in love. That's what Paul's referring to here, right? So what else can we take? What can we take away from this passage? How do we apply it? I'll pull out some points here. I have a long list. And long list ended up being about an hour and 45 minutes total duration. Is that okay? No, I'm looking at it. It's like, no, please don't keep me here that long. It's mother's day after all, right? Okay. So I'm going to just hit some high bumps here, but some good ones. So remember back to Paul's prayer in chapter one, he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge is good, Super important, right? But not without love. True knowledge is love. Knowledge properly received and expressed shows love. The Corinthian church, as an example, different from the Philippian church, right? The church of Philippi, the church of Corinth. It's not the model church. I call it the messy church. These were believers who were characterized a fair bit as being carnal Christians. And Paul had much to say to instruct them on the path. At a point in that church, the believers were running amok with gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Holy Spirit that were given for the edification and strengthening of the body and that were also given to validate the words and works of Christ. These were being used selfishly to gain status in the church. People were using holy gifts to promote themselves while at the same time they were diminishing others. And that was... And all that was causing chaos. It must have been a real turnoff to those who were on the outside, looking in from the outside, right? Not exactly having a focus on Christ and the gospel, right? As Paul prepares to emphatically address the abuses and errors and bring admonishment and correction to this church, the Holy Spirit directs Paul to, to pen one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture the love chapter. He pointedly speaks to love. What is love? The primacy of love. Because it is this, that if we grasp it, we can avoid much of the man-centered errors that can harm a church body. It's a great chapter. I'm just going to read the opening three verses, 1 Corinthians 13, verse three. If I speak in tongues, in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging, noisy cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Even if I'm so generous, I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship, even the flames that I may boast, but I have not love, I'm nothing. May it be among us that of all the wisdom and knowledge and insight and riches and authority that we may have, that we would dispense these things with the power of love. And if you want to learn the int- more about the infinite nature and character of love, read the rest of the chapter. It's beautiful. You see, love is the ultimate virtue of the believer. Next Accept each other. Romans 15, 5-7 says it this way. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he apply that? The very next thing. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As Dan will be, teach on in spades next week, he gets to, he gets to cover this, this passage that I, that I consider it's the, it's the Christmas passage, right? As Christ condescended and humbled himself for our benefit and ultimately to receive and accept us, we should receive each other in this temporal life there are many things that can keep us apart we exist in various stages of life there are some that are young among us there's some that are old there's some that are married some are not some have kids some others don't some have material wealth and possessions and riches and some have much less some are quiet and reserved and some are outgoing and noisy and ambitious the call is that despite the temporal barriers that can separate us, we are called to accept each other. Why? Because he does. <laughs> no matter who you are, or from which, whatever perspective you have on this thing, no matter who you are in any of those paradigms, ask yourself this. Would it be appropriate for you to reject someone that God has accepted? Far be it for us to do that. We may have to put aside our petty judgments, trivial matters. We may have to overlook differences that, that are among us. Personality, style, dress, manners, whatever. These things are much less important, right? Here's another one. Kind of hard to, for, for me to even phrase this one, this one but... Be able to be agreed with. So this is this is the sense of don't just be agreeable and and accepting of others, but but don't put up barriers that preclude people to, to agree and accept you, agree with you and accept you. What does that mean? So don't be overbearing to others about what you think. So I've in the past I've had Christian brothers that were so forceful and dogmatic. At times, that it just shut down any interaction and it hurt the fellowship. We shouldn't be like that. You see, 1 Corinthians 8:1 says that knowledge puffs up. What does that mean? It's knowledge that manifests itself as arrogance, that's a serious attitude problem. While you may have strong beliefs that are different than others in the body, tread softly. Don't look down on a brother or sister who may have a differing view. Or maybe even a lesser or weaker view. There's passages in scripture that where where the conscience of not every Christian is formed is as, as significantly, as maturely as others. If you know better than someone else, the way to influence them is not with a hammer. First Corinthians 13 says, love does not boast. It, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Well, what about the areas where we disagree? Can we still have unity and love? Borrowing from a future sermon, I'm not sure who gets it and who I'm stealing from, but Philippians 3.15 says this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only Let us live up to what we've already attained. It's a good word. We have plenty in common upon which we can and should agree. For the things where we don't agree, let's just say it doesn't matter so much. As long as we are like-minded on the principal truths of Scripture, we can trust the Lord to lead and teach and guide our further understanding. Calls for patience, right? Unless it is that you can say that you've already attained to everything that you already know. Right. Paul calls us to that though. He calls us to endeavor to live up to, to that which we already have attained. Dialing back just two verses, Philippians three, twelve through fourteen, Paul says this, and I alluded to it at the opening. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. No. He says, but I press on to take hold of that that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have attained or taken hold of this. But one thing I do, he says, I forget what is behind and strive for what is ahead. He presses on toward the upward goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, even Paul did not have it all figured out. He didn't understand it all. But he ter- determined to simply press on. And his pressing on was to the upward call. You see, not to win any, in any way for his own personal gain or status. Like Paul, let's keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. To close, I'm going to give you this heart of prayer that I would have for each of you, for us as a body, that it might be stated something like this Let this be in our heart. I pray that this mind be in you, brothers and sisters, you who, being believers in Christ Jesus, that you may possess the like precious faith to those who have gone before and take supreme comfort and security and hope and joy from knowing Him, that you may have sweet fellowship with His Spirit to instruct and enliven your hearts and afford the loving affection among us as a local, united body of believers, that you would not consider it a burden or hardship or beneath you to put the interests of others first, but that you may consider the wants and needs and ideas and pursuits and interests of others as, as more important than your own. Lord, help us with that. Lord, help us put all the things we personally prefer lower in importance so that we can please and glorify God, the one who gave us Christ, in our great inheritance in His eternal kingdom. My prayer goes on. Lord, strengthen and enliven and embolden the leaders and the body parts of this, your church, to stand firm to proclaim Christ in His kingdom, and that we may stand alongside each other with brotherly love and affections as we journey on the course through waters calm and through the storms until we arrive at that not-so-distant shore of heaven, where we will live with Him forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the fact that You gave us this message, authored by Paul, ultimately authored by the Holy Spirit, breathed out, God, this call for unity, and love in your church. I pray, God, that while we are a diverse body, that while we all have various interests and gifts that are all so lovely and so good, that we could overcome the fleshly inclinations to separate because of all of our differences, but rather, God, that we would align. Align with this single-mindedness to pursue Christ and the things that are of value, His message, His Word, His program for mankind. I pray, God, that uh, You would minister this in each of our hearts. Instruct our hearts, I pray, God, that You would... Search us and see if there is anything in us that would trespass on love towards the brethren. Anything that would transgress our fidelity to Christ. Anything that would in our lives that would undermine. The work that we do on this earth, that that the things that our lives would not undermine the gospel, but rather live it out. So, God, that by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd strengthen us and empower us to truly live the gospel in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to take this off of mute because you didn't want to hear me sing. <laughs> Isn't it? good. I'm encouraged that this passage applies to me. It applies to you. But aren't you happy that that the instruction of Paul doesn't have to come down hard on this body? I'm so encouraged because I look across his body and I I do see like-mindedness. I see a focus on where it should be. A focus on Christ. A focus on the gospel. And I don't see a bunch of Infighting and selfishness and selfish ambition—people striving against each other. Thank God, but it takes diligence to maintain that, does it not? There's a there's a parallel passage in in Ephesians that I'm going to read to you because it's really, really beautiful, (laughs) and we can't leave here without it. It says this: I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that awesome? There's one faith, one hope. One body, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, one Jesus, one God and Father of all. Is that a lot to be united around? I pray that we would be. Now you guys all got to come back next week because Pastor Dan comes back and he's going to be on fire, you see. And he gets to carry us on through this next part of Philippians chapter two. So come ready to hear that too. Bless you and have a great week. Awesome.